SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide. The Viewpoint with Songe Somapepe on Mondays and Tuesdays, 8 till 10 p.m. Songe Somapepe on The Viewpoint. 2105, new hour, new beginning, new energy, no more technical failures, hopefully anyway. Good evening, everybody. Welcome again to the SAFM Viewpoint with me, Songe Somapepe, broadcasting out of the Cape Town studios. And this evening, we have the honor and privilege of being celebratory as we engage our guest this evening here on the Hashtag African Narrative. Mining in Africa. Mining law students, masters converted to a PhD, all the while whilst serving articles at the top law firm. And, of course, with her sister starting a foundation, the question is, where does she find the time? And it certainly does give new meaning and definition to 24 hours in a day. We certainly do not all have the same 24 hours in a day. But that said, what started out as an LLM in the Department of Private Law under the supervision of Professor Henry Mostert in 2018 has instead ended with Rebecca graduating with a PhD during this March 2022 graduation season. Thanks to the extensive work she put into her dissertation and RT. artisanal mining she was accepted for the rare opportunity to upgrade from LLM to PhD it certainly does happen professor mostert said that upon reading rebecca's thesis around the end of 2020 she felt it was far beyond what was expected typically anyway of a master's thesis rebecca lee payne joins us this evening on the line of course i mentioned the fact that she's at a top law firm i'm talking about ens top law firm Rebecca, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to SAFM. Hi, thank you so much for having me this evening. First things first, how are you finding articles? How far are you into the journey and how are you finding selling time? <laughs> um, well, actually I'm finished my articles. Um, oh, fantastic. Yeah, I finished them last year. So, that slave work is done. Um, I've just got my whole last bit of me with more slave work. No, I'm joking. No, you um, probably mean it. I believe it. <laughs> no, I actually I'm um, finished my article, so that's Fantastic. that's always a joyous occasion. Let's talk about just your legal career as it is up to now before we really get to the meat of the upgrade from an LLM to a PhD and we are certainly going to spend some time engaging some of the research that has now advanced if you like. the legal space of mining law in this country just tell us about your legal career for now so that we can actually give meaning and expression to what hard work can do and looks like for some well, yeah so basically i i got my law degree at the university of cape town and i decided i wanted to pursue a masters and i always knew i wanted to do mining law and so i've been deeply fascinated in it i have a bit of a history in mining and so i you know i pursued this mining law masters i think it was in 2018 i started it and i had one year to complete it and i i didn't have enough time to finish it because a masters usually takes longer than a year and during that year i was also working for the south african research um chair which um for the mining law in Africa and so during that year I was quite busy and I didn't actually 
finished my master's within the year and I had to start articles at West Africa in 2019, the next year. So I thought I'm not going to put too much pressure on myself. I'll just carry on slowly writing my master's and while I was finishing my articles at UNS. And whenever I had a bit of free time, because we all know that articles can be quite um, time-consuming. And so on weekends and public holidays, and whenever I could, I'd add a little bit more to my master's, a little bit, a little bit. And finally, when my two years of, of articles were coming to an end, I'd, I thought I'd written a master's. And basically, I submitted it to my professor and my supervisor at the time, and she said to me, Rebecca, you've basically written a PhD, you know, it's long enough to be a PhD and um, you've given your own opinion and, yeah, why don't you think about upgrading? And so at the end of my articles, I upgraded to a PhD and it just took me a few more months and the rest is history. The rest certainly is history, but not that Mm -hmm. fast because we really do want to engage the story of what in the course of your thesis was your research, why you felt it appropriate when really you didn't need anything more than the 40,000 word threshold (laughs) you had reached for you to go and double it in attending to corrections because under normal circumstances, a PhD more or less would be something like 100,000 words. You went from 40,000 words to 80,000 words. Now you just pretty much attended to the corrections and then went on doubling the quotient that you were required to put in. Talk to us then about the substantive aspects of your research because mining law in this country, of course, is a hotbed in the context of mineral resources, commodities, and the land question and the expropriation that comes when we talk about the land question. Surely, I would imagine some of these, if not all of these issues, would have featured in your research. Talk to us about your research. Yeah, sure. Um, So... I actually, I've always been deeply interested in mining because I come from a family of geologists. Um, I have an identical twin sister who's a geologist, and my parents are both geologists, and I spent most of my childhood subjected to dinner conversations around exploration and mineral deposits. And I often accompanied my parents, you know, deep into Africa, where we stayed in remote mining camps. So from a very young age, you know, I, I was exposed to so much throughout Africa and, of course, the eye-opening, unusual beauty, but also, I mean, the poverty and despair on another level. And I think during those years, I realized how important and vital mining was for the modern world. But I, I also I realized how fragile and desperate so many people related to this industry really were. And I think from that young age, I just kind of wanted to be an advocate for change, um, I didn't really want to go into the science side of things and be a geologist per se. So I wanted to more address like ex- ex- exploitation and poverty. And so I knew I wanted to do law and specifically mining law. And all of these experiences, I guess, kind of paved a way towards a degree in law for me. And so my passion for mining law kind of came out of the fact that I was interested in all the different topics that, that come with um, autism or mining specifically, um, and that's mining law and the environment and human rights issues and occupational health and safety. And so I knew that when I wanted to write a dissertation, I wanted my research to look at artisanal mining and you know the impact that artisanal mining has within South Africa, but of course, sub-Saharan Africa more generally. And... 
Yeah, so basically my research looks at the world of artisanal mining. So what is artisanal mining? I'm sure many people wonder. They see, you know, when you look at a newspaper, you often see the word Zama Zama, and that's what an artisanal mining is, miner is in South Africa. Um, artisanal mining are usually those activities that are rudimentary in nature and they're quite labor-intensive and come from um, poor capital base, both in terms of technology and mechanization. And artisanal mining, I mean, it's, an enormous industry in South Africa and worldwide that contributes more than half of, of exploration that takes place um, in Africa and throughout the world. And so, more than um, half. Yeah, it's a huge generator of both um, national income and a means of poverty alleviation. And it's a huge topic at the moment that cannot we cannot really avoid anymore. And I think so. Recently. So South Africa, so basically my research, it looked at, I looked at the case study of the DRC specifically because it was one area that has, one country that has formalized the artisanal mining sector. They've implemented various regulations and different initiatives, and they've really tried to do as much as they can to legalize artisanal mining and support artisanal miners, whereas South Africa until very recently, has not done the same. Um, artisanal mining wasn't recognized um, formally under the NPRDA. And so I, I realized the importance of this. And also, I think that's probably why um, my thesis was such a hit, because it's a hot topic at the moment. And as we speak, it's busy being formalized in South Africa. They've just recently, on the 30th of March um, of this year, South Africa implemented the South African Artisanal and Small-Scale Mining Policy, which was implemented in an attempt to try and formalize artisanal mining and reap the benefits from that industry, um, which is a huge step for South Africa, and we should be and it should be applauded 100%. Um, and it's following in steps of countries like the Congo and Ghana, who have already implemented. But as my thesis um, looks at, I think there's a long way to go before we can we can, you know, really tap into this um, informal sector and reap the benefits. Surely, if we are talking about artisanal mining in sub-Saharan Africa, accounting for more than half of the actual mining activity, to that extent, that, in my view, is an indictment into the formal mining economy where there is surely a discrepancy that cannot be celebrated if artisanal mining amounts to more than 50%. Or is there something in that statistic that I am not appreciating that perhaps I ought to be contemplating? Well, I think, you know, I think, sure. I mean, I think we also need to recognize, and it's something I wrote in my thesis, we also need to recognize the impact that artisanal mining has both on, on the, the local economy and the people and also the impact it has on large-scale mining. I mean, very often, I, I mean, the primary problems associated with artisanal mining are there, and that's mainly what's written about. There's huge environmental implications, enormous mm. child labor issues, and many other issues. But 
I think the primary, I think what we do, we, what our people often forget is the enormous um, impact that artisanal mining has on, on the national economy and also the way in which it interacts with the large-scale mining sector because very often um, it's artisanal miners that, that find these very lucrative um, mining areas and um, exploitation um, areas that are that are um, hot and have um, are well endowed with um, you know um, minerals and it's the large scale companies who come in and say hey hang on hang on we own the rights here move off we're going to mine here and it's often artisanal miners who are the ones that find the the, the minerals and to start off with um, and so many countries have rec- I mean in throughout Africa have recognised the importance of the artisanal mining sector and the way in which there could be some sort of relationship between large-scale mining and small-scale mining and artisanal mining and have um, attempted to integrate this and create, um, you know, a system where everyone can play on an equal playing field, which isn't always, or often easier, you know, said than done. But, um, yeah. I mean, you you talk about the way in which the Zamazamas in South African languages are so industrious and the Zamazamas of the continent are industrious in, first of all, being oftentimes the first to detect the mineral deposits that lie beneath mm-hmm. the surface of the earth. And after the life cycle of a mine, when sort of the professional aspects of mining or the professional enterprise of mining has since found it, at least economically, no longer feasible to continue, those artisanal miners come back and continue to find Mm. the mineral deposits. The question then I've got to ask in the context of that, especially in the light of the nation and most of SSA, Sub-Saharan Africa's developmental challenges, why are we not embracing artisanal miners as a proper form of economic activity where then perhaps we can take care of the issues that, first of all, that agitated for you to engage in the research in the first place. I'm talking about human rights issues, child labor, occupational health, safety. But more importantly, give them the tools, the implements, and the necessary statutory and other support to be able then to inspire communities to have a better relationship with their land. Their land has a way of taking them and migrating them from the socioeconomic plight and disparities, which for many African communities around land is almost always the case. And one is minded to have a conversation about Marigana in this context. What then would need to happen to force the institutions of power to engage this relationship with the space differently? Yeah. Well, I think that's exactly the point. Um, You know, artisanal mining is um, it contributes enormously to the GDP, and it's essential that um, governments recognise this and realise that we need to work together and complement the different types of, of mining, um, mining levels from large-scale mining to artisanal mining, um, because um, they hugely contribute to the economy, and it's something that can't be overlooked. And I think other countries um, throughout the world are starting to realise this. Um, ESG, which stands for Environmental, Social and Governance, is becoming a hot topic. Um, it's something that companies, mine, any company cannot avoid, avoid today. And so, um, and it always, it often stems down to um, minerals and metals and, of course, physical mining and the issues that flow therefrom. 
and companies are realizing that more and more and more so that they can't ignore these issues. And so, and governments are realizing this. And so, um, as a result, governments are putting these issues at the forefront and trying to formalize and regulate artisanal mining. Um, and South Africa, for a long time, you know, they remained one country that didn't really look at artisanal mining. And, and um, you know, the first time, I think it was in 2018, was the first time that South Africa actually issued a mining permit um, to illegal diamond artisanal miners in Kimberley. And, We're going to focus um, on that is, after the ad break. I beg your pardon okay. for interrupting you no there, uh, Rebecca Lee Payne. She is the doctor, Rebecca Lee Payne, shall I say, from an LLM, very quickly, to a PhD in mining law. Sarah, Helen, Anton, I'm expecting your calls after the break. We're going to talk about mining permits and licensing and conditions, which are a form of development. on SAFM. Welcome back. Dr. Rebecca Lee Payne is on the line, PhD holder in mining law, started off as an LLM student, became very quickly a PhD graduate, all the while serving articles at a top law firm, law firm ENS Africa. And we're going to talk about the fact that she and her twin sister, Sarah, contemporaneous to all of this, started a running website, The Running Woman. Perhaps I'm going to ask Sarah very quickly to call and tell us, one, how proud she is, of her twin sister and how this the running woman thing came about but before that happens and while helen and anton get onto the dial johannesburg 714 2006 the the importance of honoring mining licenses and conditions attached to a mining license you would know because it gave us marikana when these things are not respected and honored as they should now in this country precisely because of the historical issues associated with mining associated with economic activity the migrant labor system associated with land and the expropriation or dispossession thereof in this country the imperative is important and necessary to engage mining licenses conditions attached to such mining licenses and community benefit and beneficiation. Can you spend some time in that particular rubric about what I've just raised, Rebecca? Um, sure, sure. Sorry, can you just repeat the question? Well, I'm talking about mining licenses and their value oh. and the importance of mining licenses, um, mining licenses being honored the way that a mining license um, is structured. In other words, when mining licenses are not given their, their, their due respect, ultimately, the polity crashes and we get a marigana. Yes, for sure. Um, you see, often, uh, this is the train of thought that I had before the break, um, I was just saying, and this goes to what you're saying now, you know, often um, the case with the miners is that many of them are, of course, and a lot of them are illegal immigrants, um, come from very poor backgrounds and are desperately seeking some sort of employment. And they often, they're not able to um, apply for mining permits or special mining rights because they don't have the money, it's expensive, and usually the permits have to be renewed annually, biannually, whatever the rules say, according to the country. Um, and they, they can't afford to do this. Um, and often you have to um, um, 
get a mining permit in a central town where a lot of these artisanal miners are located in the rural areas and they don't have transport. There's huge barriers associated with obtaining a mining permit and mining license. And um, and mining licenses are not being issued um, because um, there's huge backlog in in the different um, areas mining sites and, and um, government departments. And so as a result, many miners, for, for many people who are desperate and, and, you know, just need any sort of type of income, it's easier for them just to go on the site and um, mine themselves without a mining permit. And this creates huge problems within the area. First of all, there's clashes with the mining companies that own the land um, and naturally... Um, Autismal mining will come in there and they'll mine for a long time, they'll create a community, and then one day a mining company will come along and say, Hang on, uh uh-uh, you don't own this land, we own this land, get off, it's our land. And they've been, you know, they've been doing their exploration work there for a, a number of years. And what we see and what happens is we get a situation like Maracana where there's, there's, there's a lot of issues. Um, you know, Let's take a call on that point. Let's take a call. Sorry to interrupt you there, um, Doc. Let's take a call. Vuiswa in Parktown North is on the line. And if there is another call, we will take it immediately after Mamvui. Okay. Thank you, Sangha, for taking my call. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks, Mama. How are you? And your guest. I'll kick off my my engagement with this question of why has uh, mining actually has become a mafia a mafia business because those stones are, are, are supposed to be actually uh, earthly uh, resources to all of us. But it seems there's a certain group of people that uh, are, have put themselves in charge or positioned themselves to be in charge of the, of, of, of these earthly Positions that Southern Africa, South region. I mean, the whole continent. Let me say Sierra Leone, Mali. You've got these precious stones, your DRC, and nobody should be going to bed hungry. I'll give you a comparison with uh, what is happening in the Middle East because they've got oil. No one goes to bed hungry. The, the grant they get from the government. I've done a research, extensive research on that including Sierra Leone, Mali, and, you know, all these countries in Africa that have gold, including our neighbor here, Zimbabwe. They've got the purest gold that, than what South Africa has. has. So it's not as, as, the quantity is not the same. But they could, they could, act, it, can, it can actually sustain them. But because from license to the testing, some people even die along the line. So I just want to find out about this entombment practice that and it's only a person of a western descent that will actually take you through this journey and tell you what happens then that and that the research also it goes only to white people and why we as africans i mean being born in this land and we're not allowed actually to go the truth our research they die you know in the in the they they rot in the in, in in the shops because we are not given that opportunity to actually research about these stones that we're blessed with by the Creator. Sure. That's my critique. Rebecca, you've heard the engagement from the caller. 
And perhaps, and this is of course not part of your research, even though these are the issues your research would have had to engage, for instance, when you talk about human rights and the dignity of the Mm -hmm. trade of mining. There are three miners trapped underground now since 2016 in this very country, in Bumalanga. We know they are there. Now, I am unable to settle that if we knew that was gold, if we knew that was platinum, if we knew that where those three miners are, there was a mineral, I am unable to settle in my mind that we wouldn't have been able to reach that mineral. Mm. How, how do we get to a point where we have miners trapped underground and their families do not receive the closure and the dignity of closure so far down the line in? Yeah, no, sure. And... You know, just just to speak to what the caller was saying also, I mean, the human rights issues are, I mean, this is basically the majority of what my thesis looks at, and I'm deeply passionate about human rights law. Um, I just wanted to speak to what the caller was saying, you know. Yes, it's, yes. It's, it's, it's also, it's very difficult um, because you must remember in South Africa that how the law works is everything owned below the surface is owned by the government. No one, no individual person owns whatever lies below the ground. So any minerals and metals that lie below the ground do not belong to an individual. It belongs to the government, the state. Everything above, so your house and whatever is above the ground, you own outright. And so it's the government that owns the land below, and it's mining companies that get they get a mining right or a mining permit, and then they are able to lease the land and mine what's directly below. And that is extremely expensive. And that's why a lot of these mining companies take issue with artisanal miners because they spent hundreds and thousands of rands and dollars to 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 mine what's below the well to first of all do exploration yes. and, yeah, then, yeah, 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 yeah. and they get sampling and then do the mining. And it's millions and millions and millions of rand. And so I think, uh, you know, it's, 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 I understand where 100% where the call is coming from because people are desperate and ele- many illegal immigrants can't get work in South Africa and this is their only opportunity. But, you ha- I mean, mining companies come and they've spent millions of rand and now there's artisanal miners on, on their land and, and what are they supposed to do? But to what you were saying, 100%, human rights issues it's an enormous, enormous problem. I mean, child labor is still a huge problem throughout South Africa and Africa and the African continent. And um, issues, occupational health and safety issues are also a huge, huge, huge problem. And there, we, every, most, most countries have a long way to go to respect human rights issues. And I think that is one of the primary reasons why um, governments are so um, so to formalize artisanal mining because this is a way in which they're able to try and regulate and control um, in some way um, the occupational health and safety issues. But of course, this is not always possible as in the case of these miners that have been trapped. Yeah, But I, I can't, of... uh, it's difficult for me to really comment on the accident. Um, I don't know. No, 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 I accept. I'm just saying that um, if if, if we knew those were mineral deposits there, I mean, we have a general location as to where they are. And I don't imagine mining companies wouldn't have found the money and the infrastructure to get to where those deposits are. And I mean, it's even more of an indictment on the state. I mean, 
it is their land. It is yeah. open, close quota, their property. There must be an obligation on the state to find those yeah. bodies and to help those families reach a sense of closure and the dignity of the end of a life. Three in this instance. But that all said, thank you so much for your okay. perspectives and we certainly have learned much. And uh, all the very best as you carry the title, which must be very new to you, Dr. Rebecca Lee Payne. Ma'am, thanks for your time. Thank you very much.